opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Well, good morning or afternoon, depending on what part of the country you're in. This is the Multicultural Affairs Committee program for 2021, and I welcome you all. Thank you all so much for joining us today. And for those of you all who are uh, seeking the CEUs, the opening code is 47505. Again, that's 47505. So again, I say welcome to you all, and thank you all for joining us today. The Multicultural Affairs Committee has been really busy this year, uh, co-sponsoring, co-hosting, working on resolutions, and just doing many of the things that go along with us fulfilling our mission and our goals. So I thank you all for all of the support that you provided to us this year. Um, I wanted to share with you too that the Multicultural Affairs Committee was organized established in 1986. So that makes us, our committee, 35 years old this year. So happy birthday to MCAC. Um, Let's not forget later, I also want to mention to you who our committee members are. They are Regina Brink of California, Cheryl Cummings of Massachusetts, who is on our panel this morning, Mary Hararian of Massachusetts, Michael Garrett of Texas, and my better half. Uh, We have Sandra Sermons of Maryland, Donna Pomerantz of California, Mitch Pomerantz of California, and and Pam Metz also of California. So I wanna thank you all for your contributions, for your hard work and your support to make this committee the success that it has been. You know, there's a lot going on right now, and we have been kind of inundated with just, oh my gosh, so many of, so much negativity and so much stress and things that have been going on that have really just made us forget sometimes how much we have to be thankful for, to be grateful for, and also just to stop and recognize that there's still, there's still time for fun. There's still things that are fun in our lives. So based on that, this year we decided to do something different with our programming. Uh, Our theme this year is One ACB Moving Forward. And that is, that basically covers our uh, our mission and and, uh, goal, excuse me, goals of just inclusion, making sure everyone is welcome, that they have a place in the organization and that they feel comfortable to step forward and share their time and their talents to make a difference for ACB. Over the years, we've stressed so many areas in terms of our our programming. We've done programs on music where we've asked our participants or invited our participants to share with us music, a particular song that has made a difference in their lives. We've uh, asked, we've invited our, our candidates who were running that year to come and speak to our audience. We've just reached out and tried to include everyone in a way that would make a difference. So this year, what we decided to do is have panelists to come and share with us some fun things from their culture. And they're going to share with us maybe music, 
It could be a favorite story, a favorite tradition, and of course, a favorite food. I couldn't leave food out because we all enjoy a good meal. And variety is the spice of life. So we definitely want to hear about some great recipes or favorite recipes or menus that are served in various cultures during their holiday. So my co-host this morning, or my co-moderator this morning, is Mitch Pomerantz. Mitch is going to introduce the panel. Each panelist will have approximately 10 minutes to share. After they share, then we will have open question and answers. And that will be followed by a presentation of a book list that was put together by Cheryl Cummings and some of our other members, as well as collaboration with some other committees. So for now, I will turn it over to Mitch Pomerantz to introduce our panelists. Uh, thank you very much, Peggy. It's, it's really an honor to be uh, part of this panel, uh, co-moderating with you. Uh, while I am a white male, uh, I also happen to be Jewish. And being Jewish is far more than just the religion and following the Old Testament. Um, being Jewish also means the, the music and the, and, and, the, uh, and the food. And uh, the four of us, Michael and Peggy and Donna and I, uh, went on a vacation, went to New York City a few years ago. Michael and Peggy are kind of our vacation travel companions and close friends. And, and we introduced them, or I introduced them, to good Jewish deli. And uh, it's, it's so much, culture is, is so much a part of our lives. And oh, so God. I am honored to introduce our, uh, our panel members who will talk about their cultures. Uh, the first person, I'm doing this in alphabetical order, and it just so happens that uh, the man of the panel is going to be going first, um, and that is Art Cabanilla. Art is a Kama'aina, or Hawaii resident, and he is also uh, an access technology specialist and owner of Six Sense Solutions, and uh, is very active, obviously, in Hawaii because he happens to be the president of the Hawaii Association of the Blind. We will also then hear from Cheryl Cummings. Uh, Cheryl was born in Guyana. Uh, her, uh, currently, she re resides in Massachusetts, and, uh, but her parents emigrated to Chicago uh, when she was very young. And she is founder and executive director of an after-school and career exploration program for youth who are blind or visually impaired. We'll then hear from Catalina Martinez. Uh, Catalina was born in Chicago, uh, but she is uh, her parents are Mexican American and and uh, immigrated here. She is currently uh, living in Minnesota and works for the Office of Higher Education as an office and administrative assistant specialist. And then we will hear from Swatha Nanhakumar. Uh, she is Indian, uh, uh, Indian from India, Indian, uh, Indian American. She lives in Illinois and she is an advocacy and outreach specialist for ACB and a graduate of Loyola University of Chicago, 
And I won't ask you, Swatha, if you met that tremendous uh, nun who was the big uh, Loyola Chicago rooter. Uh, I'll save that for another time. But we have, I think, a great panel. And I'm going to turn it over to kick things off to, uh, to Art Cabanilla. Art? Well, aloha, everybody. Um, it's about, oh, I would say 7 o'clock a.m. here in Hawaii. So I'm going to say good morning to you folks. Um, it is one gigantic experience to be here today, you know, in, in preparation for this speech. And by the way, Mitch, and if I run over time, just go ahead and tell me to be quiet. Um, oh, you know, right. in, in preparation for this speech, uh, or this talk, I was wondering what I could share because Hawaii has so much to offer, you know, in culture and food in the people, uh, and, and just everything. So I picked out um, three general areas. So the first part I'd like to talk about is the word aloha. Um, many of you heard of that word, aloha, and I think many of you are familiar with its meaning, or at least the general meaning of it. And most of us think of it as something that means hello or welcome. But in, in actuality, the word aloha has a lot more to it than just that. Um, it's Yes, it's used in hello, and yes, it's used in goodbye, but it also has a deep meaning within the culture here in Hawaii. When we say you have the aloha spirit, that means that um, you are someone who really shares your feelings, shares your um, your culture, and, and just wants to, um, you know, help the community uh, expand, grow, and so on and so forth. So that's kind of what, you know, the Aloha spirit is about. So when the, the travelers come to Hawaii and they go and they experience all the different tours and the different uh, exhibits and so on and so forth, if those travelers can come away with saying, wow, that was really great. Wow, we really enjoyed that, that uh, tour, then um, the Kama'ainas here can honestly say that they have done their job in sharing the Aloha spirit, because that's what it's all about. It's about sharing our culture with everyone else that comes to visit us. The other word that I like to use a lot in, in our, um, here in Hawaii is the word ohana. That is our word for family. Now, Hawaii, that word ohana is, is really deep also. It's um, much more than just family. It's um, taking care of one uh, another and making sure that everybody is safe, making sure that everybody is cared for. So here in Hawaii, uh, when our older generation folks, you know, get to that age where they need a little extra help, Oftentimes, you'll see the families and its members come in together and kind of help out to take care of grandma and grandpa, to take care of auntie and uncle. Or even if it's just somebody who's happened to have gotten a surgery recently and they just need a little bit of extra uh, help uh, for the next few days or weeks while they rehab, um, all of this falls under the concept of ohana because everybody comes in and everybody kind of helps out 
and um, you know puts their time into it. So again, the closeness of the people here is something that I would say is part of the culture. We also will like to share a lot of our culture in terms of music and um, dance. Now, I'm sure many of you heard of things like hula and the ukulele. So the ukulele is a instrument that was brought actually by the Portuguese into Hawaii and has taken root here. And so many of our local um, musicians play the ukulele very well. And that's where a lot of our local sounds and songs come from. The art of hula or the dance is again, another portion that takes place or is a component to the music that uh, we have here in Hawaii. So when you go to a luau, like um, many of you might've heard, okay, it's a, it's a um, uh, event where our local foods and our dance and our music is displayed and everybody takes part in it. So when you go to a, a luau, you might hear a lot of these uh, music. You might see these dances, uh, but you will also experience the, the foods that uh, the local people eat. Some of the local, uh, some of the food that we have here are uh, like kalua pig. Kalua meaning uh, cooked under the ground. So the pig is uh, prepared in, in a way that where it's, it's buried under the earth and it is cooked that way. That is our oven, if you will. And um, there's other things like um, uh, poi, which is, uh, comes from the taro. And, you know, we prepare it in a certain way so that it's uh, edible for everybody. It's, that's our starch that we have in our, in our diet. Another thing that is, you might find at a luau is uh, something like um, lomi salmon. And that's a little bit more modern now. You know, we're not, we're not, you're not talking so much tradition, but it's part of the, um, the, the, the meal that normally you, you'd normally see at a luau. Uh, in some cases, you might find um, a lot of raw items, you know, like uh, what we call poke, uh, which is raw fish. Uh, now that might sound really disgusting to some of you, but um, actually it is a delicacy here in Hawaii and a lot of people actually enjoy it. Once you get past that ew state um, and you actually try it and you actually eat it alongside with something like koi uh, or even lomi salmon, um, that poke actually is really, really good. So, you know, these are just some of the food items uh, that we have here in Hawaii. And because Hawaii started out early years, I'm going to just kind of shift gears here. Uh, because Hawaii started out in the early years as a state where we would, we had a lot of sugarcane um, and we were manufacturing sugarcane like crazy. We had to bring in other people, more, more workers because Hawaii didn't have enough workers. So because of that, we had the fortune 
of having different cultures also come to our islands. So we had the Japanese, we had the Chinese, and we had the Portuguese uh, people come to Hawaii, as well as the Filipinos. And all of these different cultures blended so well here in Hawaii that as we grew up, as I grew up, you know, it didn't matter what nationality you really were. Um, we all treated each other as kama'aina or local. And um, so even though we may not have, don't, don't necessarily have the actual Hawaiian blood in us, we still carry the uh, Hawaii spirit or that aloha spirit that I started off talking about. Because each and every one of us still consider ourselves Hawaiian or local. And so that really does, um, you know, showcase, I think, the people here in Hawaii. Now, each different ethnic group that I mentioned, you know, of course, they brought their own foods and their own um, flavors to Hawaii. So that, in turn, when you go back to food, that now has uh, brought the food aspect way outside the boundaries of a luau. Because now when you go to parties, um, family birthday parties, graduations, what have you, um, you have an array of food. I mean, it's like, a, it's like crazy. You know, you have food that's um, from Japanese flavored to Chinese flavored uh, to Filipino, and everybody is sharing all of their good luck food because that's what it's about. It's about good luck. And you know, being got about uh, a minute sharing that one happy moment. So, I think if you ever get a chance to come to Hawaii and visit with us, um, you'll see that the people are very happy people. We are welcoming people. We would like to say to you all, you know, come, you know, let me show you our island, um, you know, and we'll take care of you because again, we we. Thank you, Art, very much. The one thing you didn't mention were Hawaiian shirts, of which I have, I think, six or seven now. But, but thank you, and, and we've been, Don and I have been there several times, and, and the Hawaiian hospitality is fantastic. It truly is. Now, we'd like to hear from Cheryl and talk about her, her culture coming from Guyana. Cheryl? Um, so, I, uh, well, thank you so much for this invitation. I'm very honored to be given a chance to talk a little bit about Guyana. Um, I have been, I, I came to the United States when I was 10, and I'm now uh, a 50-something year, year old woman. So um, I, I've got to say, in preparing for this, it gave me a chance to go back and do some reading talk with my mom and get a few things clear. Um, so hopefully this, this is interesting. So Guyana, let's just start with talking about where is Guyana? Because for many years, even till now, um, when you say to somebody I'm from Guyana, they correct you and say, do you mean Ghana? And you say, no, Guyana. And then they say, do you mean Guinea? And you say, no. Guyana. Um, so Guyana is a small country. It's located uh, on the northern part of South America. 
It uh, has borders with Venezuela, Suriname, and Brazil. Um, it's a former British colony, so it's the only English-speaking country on in South America. Um, the fact that it's a former British colony meant to some extent that it's sort of ethos and orientation was towards the Caribbean. So towards the other um, um, islands and, and um, spaces that were colonized by the British. If you went to Guyana, you would find the population consists of folks we call Amerindians. So those are native Indians. We have East Indians. So those are people who came to Guyana from India. Um, you have African um, folks like me, uh, descendants of slaves. You have Portuguese, you have Chinese people, you have uh, Europeans, and then you have a large group of people who are a mix of all of those different groups. Guyana was a country that, as I said, it was a former British colony, um, but there were you know, fights between Spain, fights between the French, the Dutch, and the British over control. So it's, re it's a really interesting country in the sense that um, the architect and sort of some of the structures, because they're canals, which are all over the place that were built by the Dutch. Um, and then there, there are other structures that reflect, of course, the British influence. In Guyana, slavery was abolished in the early 1830s. So I say that because in looking it up, um, I've got a 1834 and another resource said 1837. And that's important because that then contributed to the composition of the people who are currently in Guyana. So when slavery ended, uh, of course, the slaves realized that they didn't need to work for free. And they also realized that they outnumbered the people who were asking them to work. So they started to set rates for employment, basically working on like sugarcane um, plantations and um, working on rice um, that, that the British objected to. So they did what they did in lots of places, which is that they turned to India and to China and other places and, and brought in not slaves, but indentured servants. So it's, it's an interesting sort of mixture um, in as much as there is um, families that reflect all of the different populations that I talked about. There's also um, some ancient resentments that are still played out in the way Afri people of African descent and Indian descent sort of interact with each other. Um, and that's important to understand because that has influenced the, the sort of political structure and, and sort of views of uh, that some of the, some of the um, actions that happened when around um, independence. The religion, there are people there who are Christians. My family, um, we're, we were members of the Anglican, the Anglican Church. They're Hindus and they're Muslims. Those were the groups I was aware of. 
I had friends who were, uh, of course, Christians, friends who were Hindus, friends who were Muslim. We all went to school together. We all played together. We all lived next to each other. Um, our, our worship um, spaces were, weren't so separated. So in one town, you could see uh, Anglican church and like right next door, you could see a mosque or you could see a temple, sort of all, all together. And what that meant is that, uh, as I said, families reflect all of the populations and our foods reflect all of the population. So my mom is a much better cook at these than I am, but my mom, in as much as she knows how to cook something that's called cook up rice, which is peas and rice, black eyed peas and rice. She's also a fantastic maker of curry chicken or curry beef and roti, the bread that goes with it. She also makes a mean uh, fried rice or lo mein. And not only, so my mom, as I said, you know, cooks from all of the cultures that are there. And I say every family does the same thing, that you can go into anybody's house and, and you'll know what they're cooking because my gosh, you all cook the same stuff. Some of the important, the, and I suppose the other thing to recognize is that the holidays that are celebrated uh, reflects the, the different religions. So the national holidays are, so you know, Christmas and Easter, my family would celebrate those, um, but we would also celebrate Hindu holidays and Muslim holidays. And, and as I said, I've been gone for a long time. I don't remember the names and I don't want to misspeak. Um, but I know, I know we did. Our national sport is cricket. Um, Guyana doesn't have its own cricket team. It, it's always been part of the West Indies team. So again, sort of that looking and, and connecting up culturally with uh, uh, the islands, like uh, our closest island is uh, Trinidad and Tobago, and then Jamaica, and um, just just lots and lots of collection, um, connections. Um, and as I said, the same sort of cultural vibe. So reggae, if you, if you went to Guyana and you wanted to hear what the sort of music people were listening to, you'd hear reggae, you'd hear calypso, um, and, you know, and then you'd hear contemporary stuff. One of the interesting things about the country is that it's one of the few countries in South America where the, a large percentage, actually it says here, 80% of the country is covered by uh, rainforest. Um, most people live along the coast. Um, my family lived in the capital, which is Georgetown, and our houses are very interesting because there's flooding. So um, our house was built in a way where we're actually high up. So to get to the uh, um, to where to the actual house, you have to go up a like a flight of stairs to get upstairs to, to the house. Some of my favorite memories um, deal with Christmas and Easter. So one minute. A, oh, okay. So. I suppose I'd like to say um, there's a richness and um, just a beautiful uh, 
things about Guyana that when I came to the United States helped me to be able to easily fit in and to be part of, of being here. But it's a lovely, lovely culture. And I'm so proud to be somebody who, um, you know, is from Guyana. So thank you so much. Thank you, Cheryl. Now we will hear from Catalina. Hello, everybody. How's it going? Uh, my name is Good. Catalina. My name is Catalina Martinez. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay, perfect. My name is Catalina Martinez. I was born in Chicago, Illinois, but my heritage goes back to Mexico. My parents were born in both, oddly enough, in Mexico City. And my parents got to meet each other when they were pretty young. And they got married when my mom was 17 and my dad was 23. And I actually got to see a picture of them. And my mom's wedding dress was absolutely gorgeous. And the, the tail, the, I guess the tail of the dress was so long it almost wrapped around the uh, the flower girl. It was it was stunning. It was beautiful. But my parents came to the United States. I would say back in 1954, when my sister was two years old, my older sister, and they followed. My dad followed his mom because they all lived in Mexico, and my grandmother came first, and then his sisters came, and my dad didn't want to get left behind, so he followed suit. And then they all landed in Chicago. So then the rest of us came along. There's five of us all together. And I'm the fourth child. But only one was born in Mexico. And the rest of us were born in Chicago. One tradition that I will always remember and I love is uh, during, uh, during Christmas, we had something called a posada. Now, what a posada is... It's a Mexican tradition when Mary and Joseph are trying to find somewhere to live because they're going to have a child. And they keep going from house to house and no one wants to give them refuge. So the, the just of the tradition is there's nine families that get together because it's nine days right before Christmas. So the last one ends on Christmas Eve. So we start usually on the 16th of December and you get nine families and everybody shows up in the first family's house on the 16th. And what happens is half of the people stand in one room and the other half of the people stand in another room and they start singing to each other. And one Half of the room is Jesus, I mean, Joseph and Mary singing, please let us in. This is Mary. She's going to give birth to a special child. And the other person is the person in the house saying, go away. I will beat you. Leave us alone. Just go away. And at the very end, the person in the house allows Mary and Joseph into their home. So everybody crowds together in one room and the whole rosary is, is uh, prayed and when everyone finishes singing, you know, there's songs that go on and praying that goes on. And when that's finished, then they start singing to the hostess saying, you know, bring us our baskets of goodies. So usually the person that hosts 
she brings out a bag or whatever she wants with um, fruit or candy or, you know, whatever they can provide. And then we all sit down to a meal. It can be coffee and uh, pastries. It can be a, a, a meal. And my mom carried this tradition on for 35 years. And it was a wonderful tradition. It was such an honor to be able to grow up with it. Now my mom is about, well, she's 86 years old. And of course, she's not able to continue the tradition anymore. And the thing about cultures, it's so important to embrace one's culture. Because as the generations go on, uh, they start to lose it. Like, unfortunately, my generation, we kept the tradition. But as the family get bigger and more generations come forth, they start losing that tradition. And I, that's sad because after our, my, my uh, generation is gone, they're not going to have this tradition anymore because nobody wants to follow it. But I'm first, uh, one of the first born here in my family because, you know, first generation Hispanic. And I feel honored to be able to carry forth this tradition. Uh, another tradition my mom brought that will leave when she does is the food. My mom is a fabulous cook. I mean, she cooks the traditional mole, pozole, uh, empanadas, all that wonderful stuff. And of course, the rest of us don't know how to cook. But that's something that will always be with me because I live in Minnesota. My parents live in Chicago. When I go visit my family, I am so spoiled because I get the real thing. So, but unfortunately, that's a tradition that will not be followed. But food is very important to uh, people in Mexico because we like to celebrate and the food comes out. Because when I went to Reynosa a couple of years ago to visit my family, there was food around all the time. And it was so cool because it was all Mexican food. It was all uh, empanadas and it, it was just wonderful. Drinks and it's just very, very special. Um, we do go back to Mexico because we still have a lot of family there. And we still follow a lot of the traditions. You know, at that parties, we still do what's called the piñata, which is made with cray paper. And some of them are just so beautiful, you don't want to hurt them. <laughs> but you just, a piñata usually is filled, made with cray paper and all kinds of beautiful designs. And the inside is hollow. So you put in candy inside. Sometimes you put money and you take a bat or whatever you take. And you try to break this piñata, but you got to be blindfolded. And I remember so many times having fun with a piñata as kids, just run and grab all the candy you can. I remember one time they had a piñata at Father's Day and the piñata, the inside <laughs> was filled with water. And the winner got a, a bottle of uh, vodka, I think it was. But I thought it was so funny just filling it up with water. And whoever got to break it, they got wet. But it's, it's just so much fun. My family growing up with so many different customs and very cultures. And we still speak the language. It's so important to keep abreast of one's traditions. Because that's, you know, that's where you've come from. That's what your character is built from. And... And with that, that's, you know, that's all I have. Thank you, Catalina. Um, thank you. Food is, thank you. 
food is is very important. Donna's mother makes the best mole in the world. I don't oh. know anybody else's. So I definitely understand. Oh, my mom knows <laughs> I love you, mole. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes, indeed. And finally, we're going to hear from Swatha, talk about uh, her her heritage, her culture as uh, an Indian lady. So Swatha. Hi, yeah. Um, so I am a Swatha Nand Kumar. And I am originally from India. Uh, I came here, I came to Illinois when I was, or not Illinois, I came to U.S. when I was two. Um, I came to Illinois when I was five. Um, and it, on the other panelists, um, you know, talk about diversity and culture. And um, I was kind of going on theme of like um, India is um, kind of a big country and it has a lot of, of different cultures, different religions, different um, traditions, 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 traditions. So um, I thought I'd highlight four kind of festivals or holidays because they holidays are, holidays are kind of fun and they have they have a lot of food and all that. So um, and I'm speaking as a Tamil Hindu. So um, Tamils are an ethnic group in the south of India, and Hindus are the main religion in the, India. So um, yeah. Um, so first holiday going 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 in the to, going in like the order of the order of months in the year. Um, kind of in January, I um, celebrate a festival called Thai Pongal, and um, Pongal is harvest 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 festival harvest festival. So um. First, and it's 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 a, we celebrate over three over three days. So on the first day, it's called bogey. Um, so during bogey, we kind of clean the house. We get we get rid of all the the old things and kind of out the out the old and with the and with the new. So like um, it's kind of re refresh. So um, and then next day is pongal, and so that day we um, we make. The pongo, which is um a rice dish, is rice um clarified butter um spice um lentils and lentils and spices <laughs> and also, also a sweet a sweet a sweet version also a sweet version which is um rice lentils and sugar syrup so cane sugar syrup um I mean bush cashews and raisins and it's just it's really good food um and they also pray to Surian which is the sun god. Um, we, yeah, we prayed it. Yeah, we pray, um, for the sun and for, like, I think it's, it's a Thanksgiving, 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 so you have to pray to the, um, the energy that gives us our crops. And then, um, so third day is called Matabungal, and that day we pray to our livestock and all, all the all farm animals that helped us in our harvest and helped us uh, bring our food out, and then, um, yeah, so that's that's, that's Pongal. and then our next festival is, and is um in September. Just um, yeah, I just just make Vinayak Charuti, Vinayak Charuti, Vinayak Charuti, which is um the celebration of the um Lord Ganesh or or Vinayak as it's also known. Um, so yeah, so Vinayak. He is our protector, and he is the one that vanquishes obstacles. So we pray to him first when we go, when we um go to temple. We, we pray to we pray to him first as um kind of ritual, and on that day we also make um. So we make um, kolkata, which is um like a rice dumpling, 
and inside 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 with coconut cream and sugar, um, so kind of sweet offering. And then um, next holiday, would we celebrate also um, celebrate the goddess Saraswati, goddess Saraswati, which she is our um, our goddess of learning and education and wisdom. So her as like other good omen. Um, the first day we. So we pray for our books, and we um, we pray for knowledge, knowledge, knowledge from them. So, and the, so we do pujas, which are um rituals um that celebrate the books and celebrate celebrate the things that give, give us knowledge. And then on um, next day, it's, um we celebrate we we pray to our tools to celebrate our tools. Um, so the things that help us work and help us um achieve our goals. So like um our tools. So um. Our cars are um like just kind of tools we use, computers, that kind of thing. And then um last holiday, kind of going in October, November. Um, so this is Diwali. Diwali is just a fun celebration. Um, where we have like we it's it's a celebration of light, of triumph of light or over darkness. So eventually of evil, and the of like the evil spirits and um. So that's like a light festival. So we have light. We hang. We hang lights outside of our houses. We inside, and we also um do fireworks, and we just it's a it's a fun time. We, cl- we get new clothes. We get um just like a fun um sort of fun festivities and just light or darkness. So celebrate light and celebrate um kind of being with being good people. Just being like so gifts and presents and new clothes and all that. So yeah. Um, so that's kind of the year of um, our celebrations and our festivals. And um, also, um, I forgot to mention, um, in our Tarasvati Puja, we also make um, what they call sundal, which is um, lentils and chickpeas and all kinds of um, herbs and spices. And we that's kind of our offering and our um, celebration of knowledge and celebration of, of the goddess. So... Yeah, that is all I have for that's all I have for now. Um, yeah, I'm glad I'm glad to I'm glad to be here at the panel and glad to be representing culture. Very good, thank you, Swatha. Uh, Peggy, we've got uh, about a half hour. I think we're going to eleven fifteen. Do we uh, want to open it up for questions at this time? Yes, let's open it up. And uh, we're actually going for two sessions, so we have plenty of time. But I want to thank each of you for your presentations. And I want to put in my order now for next year when we're together in person that I want to sample from everybody's native cooking. Okay? Okay. Just thought I put that in there. But let, let's open up um, for questions. All right. Let's see who we have. First, we have... Ray. Okay. I believe I'm unmuted. Uh, thank you. By the way, I'm liking that there's kind of an Illinois and Chicago theme to all this this morning. This is pretty good. Um, uh, Ray, Ray Campbell, I'm uh, honored to be officer liaison to the Multicultural Affairs Committee. And the question I'd like to ask, um, especially Cheryl, uh, Catalina, and Swatha, um, Art, you can weigh in too if you'd like is in thinking about and looking at your cultures, um, how are there any 
ways or, or, or things that uh, that you discovered of how your cultures, you know, people in your culture deal with uh, people who are blind or visually impaired as far as uh, do they, is it a tradition to kind of keep them hidden away? Is it to try to uh, have the family kind of take care of needs? What, what are, what are some of the things that uh, happen around that, that area? Thanks a lot. So who wants to take that first? So if you guys want, I'll, I'll just jump in and help you out here. Um, yes, thank you. <laughs> so, you know, in Hawaii, um, I, should, I should say in um, the older Hawaii, the, the culture was to kind of hide, you know, um, the, the person. It was considered an embarrassment. It was considered kind of shameful um, to to have somebody who was disabled uh, person in your family. So yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the best of things. But you know now with um, ACB and uh, with the proper training that one can get at a at a you know a center for the blind and so forth and all the different technology that we have that's out there for us to help us move forward in life. You know things have changed here in Hawaii at least. Uh, and I've noticed that, um, you know, these individuals who were once, um, you know, shut-ins are now actually coming out and being part of the co uh, community. Um, this is this is Cheryl. Um, and so this is, uh, uh, I suppose, sort of based a little bit on my, my own family and their reaction initially to my becoming blind. Um, my dad wondered sort of what sin had he committed or my mom committed that um, I, I lost, that the result was that I, I lost my vision. And um, I was super grateful that I was living in the United States um, because um, my dad sort of response was like okay like we're gonna you know you 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 like you go, you're gonna go through school whatever but uh you got to get married and we have to find somebody who's gonna take care of you so m my mom is you know she's been in the u.s for a long long time not her um spoken response but i would say that uh there's 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 still a lot of like worry and concern about sort of what will my life be? And, um, you know, am I like truly, I suppose, leading uh, a good life or even maybe fundamentally, can I lead a good life as a, as a blind person? So I think that's, and, 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 and I think even though she feels that and sometimes her actions might reflect that, she's never at the same time done anything to prevent me from doing what I've decided to do. So like she didn't say, oh, you're, you know, you're not going to get mobility lessons or like you can't go away to college and stuff like that. But I know that she's always been uh worried 
and and you know concerned about sort of the way my life is going so anyone else want to address that question i'm sorry what was the question i apologize uh, the question is to share any uh, area of, of, of being blind in your particular culture that might be different or even might be the same uh, as, you, as it is today in our country or in, our, in the culture of the U.S. Well, in my family, it was very different, very, in some aspects I was sheltered and in some aspects I got away with a lot of stuff that my, my, my siblings didn't get away with. Of course, I was the first and only blind person in my family. Uh, my parents thought cataracts caused my blindness, but later found out it was retinitis pigmentosa. But I was fortunate that, you know, my parents let me go to camp and let me do things to enable me to be a good uh, traveler and be more well-rounded. And I have, I did so many more things and went further in my life and my career than my siblings ever did. So I don't know if it's the influence of my parents, my own stubbornness. I don't know what it was, but I just, I just went a lot further. Yeah, so I don't really like, my experience is I've been here for a very long time. My parents um, kind of always had to be on their own. So they, I guess for me, like it was always emphasis on um, just being strong and kind of being able to take whatever comes, comes your way um, and always emphasis on um, do what you can, don't, don't, don't rely on others. And um, so... I guess that's how my, parent, my parents felt, but um, for me, it was kind of being blind or being disabled um, was always just like you gotta make sure, make sure, make sure you stand for for yourself. So, yeah, it was emphasis in that. It wasn't really like I'm not sure about culture, but like just for me and my family experiences, I've always kind of been taught to be strong and always kind of be independent and to um, just. Yeah, just to like kind of say, say no to haters. So, <laughs> all right, all right. Well, thank you. Okay, are there any other hands? Oh yes. All right. Next, we have Michael Byington. You're allowed to speak. Hi, Michael. I have a question for Art and a question for Mitch, and I will ask them both, and then uh, mute myself again and let you guys have at it. Uh, first of all, for Art. I had the pleasure of speaking to the Hawaii ACB affiliate uh, back in the late 1990s. And uh, during that trip, why uh, you all showed wonderful hospitality is, uh, is no surprise. But one of the places that Mr. Oda, who was sort of my tour guide, uh, took me was to Ho'opono, which was the name of the uh, Hawaii Rehab Center for the blind. And they talked with me quite a bit about the fact that their culture had been a culture which in the past had uh, sort of uh, sequestered blind people and that they were trying to move out of that. But at the same time, they were working to try and keep some of those traditions and um, the tradition of help, which is what they explained to me that Ho'opona had some, some connection with help in terms of the language. 
So I'd just be curious uh, to know in the past uh, 25 years or so since I was there and uh, saw that what changes have taken place in uh, Ho'opono and the views that they have toward uh, blindness, integration, et cetera, now. And now to Mitch. Uh, Mitch, I, being a Midwesterner, had always heard in uh, uh, books that I had read, both with my eyes and with talking books, uh, about uh, the New York delis. And one of the things that was always mentioned was Gafel Tefe. And so when I got to New York, I wanted to try gefilte fish. I thought it must be something really wonderful. And I ordered it plain. Oh, I'm sorry. I wanted to know what it really tasted like. Well, it was rather bland and kind of boring. Uh, but uh, here in the Midwest, we don't usually see it. But uh, Ann and I shop at a uh, little neighborhood grocery. And Mr. Tilton, the grocer, gets lots of stuff that you just don't normally see in this area. And he had gefilte fish in the other day. So I bought some and I came back and did research and found out that normally it is served with, it's really a fish loaf. It's not one fish. And that it's normally fished with, uh, served with various sauces. And uh, I couldn't find anything about which sauces were the best. I tried uh, cooking it uh, or baking it with uh, a sweet baby Ray's uh, sweet hot pepper sauce, and it was really quite good that way. But I'm just curious about your connections as a Jewish individual with uh, gefilte fish and what sauces you would recommend if I'm able to get it again. You first, Art. <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot. Uh, well, thanks, Michael, for the question. It's a good question. Um, si since um, your visit, I would probably have to say that uh, Ho'opono um, has changed. Uh, we've done away with our uh, workshop uh, portion of the program and uh, have now gone into a full-fledged uh, program that covers, you know, the whole gamut, you know, uh, cooking, uh, travel, uh, computers, um, you know, the whole thing. And it's an, it's an, it's now about a nine month course. Um, it does have a component whereby folks, because we are made up of islands, our state is made up of uh, islands, you know, eight islands. Um, the, 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 the trouble we hear that we have a lot um, is the folks are not able to get to the services that they need because the, the services that are being provided are, are on the main uh, island, which we often refer to as Oahu. And so it, what they did, Ho'opono, is they actually added finally a component where they can bring folks in and those folks can actually stay in an apartment um, and uh, go through the nine-month training that way. So, yeah, we've improved, improved I would say. Um, and, you know, we've, we've done a lot better in the way of outreach, making sure that the, the people are aware that these programs are, exist and that, um, you know, blind folks can and will be successful if they get to these programs. And, and Michael, you're, you're kind of talking to the wrong wrong Jewish guy here because I don't like a filter fish. Um, I have never had it in any way, shape or form that was tolerable. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is kind of a, a compilation of, of different fish. 
Uh, when our family used to get together for Passover, it was one of the things that that was served. But um, I, I, if I never eat gefilte fish again, I'll be really happy. When, <laughs> when the Garretts and the Pomeranzas went to New York City a few years ago, we went to what was then one of the two most famous delis in New York City, the Carnegie Deli, which sadly has closed. And, uh, you know, I, I, I love uh, matzo brai, which is basically matzo, which you fry up, you cook it just like you make French toast. You break up the matzo and you put it in the, uh, the egg batter and it's tremendous. No. Uh, I'll, I'll eat chopped liver if it's got enough chicken fat in there that I don't see the liver isn't overpowering. Uh, and, and of course, uh, you know, pastrami and, and those kinds of things. And, uh, it was, it was, yes. And, and, and my, my technical advisor over here reminds me about lox, which, uh, I will eat on a bagel with cream cheese and onions. Donna likes, uh, Donna doesn't like lox particularly, but, but uh, I could eat lox, lox and eggs or lox and cream cheese once a week. But the filter fish, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, and I'd like to comment on that, that mm. the trip that we went to that deli, I, I'd already always heard of lox, but had never tasted it. So I was game to try it and I actually enjoyed it. Uh, but then my husband, on the other hand, who's Taste buds are not quite as varied as mine. Decided he did not want to try it, but I'm pretty game to try different foods. Um, I love food and experimenting with different spices and flavors has always been part of what I enjoy doing. So I was grateful to have had that opportunity uh, to to have lox, and I would definitely have it again. So thank you, well, Michael. Hopefully, we'll get a chance again. Yes, definitely. And, and thank you, Michael, for those questions. Uh, do we have other hands? Oh, we certainly do. Our, okay. next, our next hand is Winter. You may speak. Hi, Winter. You may speak, Winter. I'd like to you say a quick it. hello to Catalina. Um, I am from Kentucky, and we met uh, 2019 at our state convention. And um, my comments are for Art. Um, I actually have been to Hawaii. Um, it's been numerous years ago. Um, we got to go to Oahu. And I will say I did come back with that aloha spirit. Um, your culture is very inviting for someone that is uh, visually impaired. But my question is, um, if someone that has lost more sight comes to your island and goes to uh, a luau, is there somebody there that could like describe what they are doing? Because I know with, with uh, your dances, it's like telling story mm -hmm. with movement. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, and unfortunately, I, I'm going to have to lean on the side of no, because although we do have a number of, uh, a, a great number more of travelers now who are blind. Um, I don't think the, the luau's themselves have yet experienced enough of um, these kinds of consumers. So they haven't adopted or addressed the issue of uh, descriptive um, features. So I would you know, say at this point, Probably not. Um, it's usually left to family 
members who are who are able to see or friends to kind of help describe that. But I would love to see that happen more because even for me as a as a Kamaina, you know, um, when we go to family um, affairs and someone gets up and does the hula, you know, it's all great and nice and everything. You know, I I I can totally appreciate it, but yet I still lose out because I don't I don't get to see the actual movements. So yeah, unfortunately, no, I don't I don't see that happening not yet. Art, that sounds like a great challenge for our audio description committee a program. It sure does. Get it sure does. With that. So let's let's do a little follow up with that. All right, next question. Next hand. All right. Our next hand is area code 314, ending in 769. You may unmute. First of all, I'm Rick Belcher. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. This is the first time I've ever uh, participated in the uh, multicultural thing. But I'd like to say that if my fiance were here, I would hug her. Uh, <laughs> I enjoy listening to uh, these stuff. Uh, I have to say that two of my favorites was the uh, guy from Hawaii and the guy and the lady who is from Mexico. Uh, Maui is my favorite Hawaiian island. I am Maui's biggest fan, that's for sure. And every year on the 21st of August, I always call the Maui's Visitors Bureau and wish them a happy holiday. And also wish them Mehekalikimaka, which means Merry Christmas in Hawaii. Uh, I've been through Hawaii, but like I say, Maui is my favorite mm-hmm. island. And the Mexican uh, lady, uh, Catalina, that spoke, uh, I'm like her. I love Mexican food. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us and, uh, and do come back and thank you for sharing. All right. Our next, our next hand is Mary. You may speak. Hi, Mary. Okay. Hi. Hello, everybody. Hi, Peggy. Hi, hi, panelists. And this was, this was wonderful. Um, I really enjoyed hearing um, from, from all of you and, I guess I, I just have a comment and, and anybody who might like to just sort of, you know, have anything to say about the comment, but it's just amazing to me how, you know, whenever we talk about culture, everyone will always be talking about their food and food is such a universal connection, I think. And I firmly believe that even pe- for people who might be, you know, wary or unaware of other cultures and and have their biases will be so open to trying food. Um, it'll be a way to bring people together. And it's a, such a sign of hospitality too. When you have someone to your home and you, you know, bring out, you know, food um, that might reflect a particular culture. It doesn't have to be a big meal, just certain items. It, it can be so, so welcoming. And um, it's just amazing that human beings, as you know, diverse as we are, um, you know, f- food can be such a unifying thing, as well as music, but food probably most especially. So that was just just a comment. Thank you. 
Thank you, Mary, for that comment. And I agree, food is the great equalizer for so many of us because, you know, as I said earlier, I, I love variety and food. Um, I'm always looking for new restaurants, uh, specific uh, et ethnic kinds of restaurants to try something that I've never had before. And a lot of my friends feel the same way too. So yes, food is the great equalizer. So next hand. Next, we have Amanda. Hi, Amanda. Hello. Um, thank you for letting me speak. Uh, this is my first time knowing about this committee. I'm, I'm guessing it's a committee. It's my first time with the ACB convention in general. So um, when I saw the topic, I was very intrigued because part of my family is Egyptian. So, and, and I live in California. So I, I just love hearing about different cultures and you know, it, it was it was really awesome to hear other people's experience and where they come from and just everything. I, I really enjoyed it. And um, I just had a question like at the beginning, I, I'm guessing this is a committee. For, so I'm wondering how how can I be like get more information about um, this committee or be a part of it or. Um, yeah, that, that's what I have. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you, Amanda. And yes, it is a committee. The committee was established in 1986. Um, we have monthly meetings. And right after the convention, normally the president will send out an email. I don't know if you if you were on the uh, conversation list, but I'm sure that President Spoon will send it to all of the lists. And it encourages people who are interested to uh, get in touch with him and get more information. Uh, I know we're not allowed to give out numbers or names or anything, but if you will contact the uh, Minnesota office, they can give you my contact information. Although my email is all over the, the internet. And also we have a webpage. If you go to acb.org and, and go to the committee website uh, for multicultural committee, there is information listed there. But if you have any additional questions, I'd be more than happy to speak with you. And both my email and phone number are on that page. And we're always looking for, for folks who are interested, interested in serving. So look forward to hearing from you. And Peggy, let me make a, yes, a couple of comments, if, if I may. Yes, uh, sure. Specifically to Mary's uh, comment. Yeah, mm -hmm. food, food does bring people together. Um, you know, I, I love Mexican food. I love Indian food. Um, mm -hmm. Swatha, I'll go into an Indian restaurant and I will order, I will order a vindaloo at the hottest uh, they make it. And from what I'm told, they look at me like I must be out of my mind, but, <laughs> but I'll, still, I'll still do that. Um, and, you know, and I think the other thing that brings, brings people together is music. Um, mm -hmm. I love all kinds of, of Mexican music and, and, uh, Spanish flamenco guitar when we were in Spain a few years ago and mm -hmm. um, there's there's a kind of music that is very specific to uh, people who are Jewish and that's called klezmer music and it's mm -hmm. it's upbeat and it's fun and there it's it's just a lot of fun you dance the hora which is a which is a dance it's it's sort of like a Jewish square dance um, so uh, music and food definitely bring people together and it's and it was wonderful Donna just reminded me 
when we got together in uh, in 2001, um, the first time that I went to meet Donna's parents, I guess Donna's mother took her aside and, and the question she asked was, what does he eat? <laughs> well, it uh, turns out I, I eat spicier food than Donna does. And then the first time we went to visit my mother uh, when she was still alive uh, in Las Vegas in 2001 or thereabouts, um, we went, went into the kitchen for something and the first thing, my mother takes me into the corner and, and she said, what does she eat? <laughs> so, so that's kind of a, a universal uh, in cultures. Uh, yeah, my mom hadn't had a lot of experience with, with uh, Latinas. And, and so, and, and, and Donna's mom hadn't had a lot of experience with, with Jewish guys. So it's, uh, you know, it's a cross-cultural thing. But some of the questions and some of the things that come up are universal. Yeah, and I've experienced Mitch and his extremely spicy food, so he's not kidding. <laughs> I thought I liked spicy, but he has uh, one or two up on me on that. Okay, so uh, are there other hands up, and, and, and how are we doing on time? Well, it is now 2.14 uh, Eastern, and you still have some hands, so you're good so okay, far. Well, let, let's, let's put a hold on those hands, because we're only going to... Uh, well, no, we have time. We're going to 345 Eastern. So, mm -hmm. okay. yep. mm -hmm. so let's take a few more hands. Okay. Next we have Margie. Hey, Margie. You were, there you go, Margie. Hello. Hello. Good morning from California. Hey. What a great panel. What a great topic. This was so exciting to me to hear of the other cultures, um, many of which I've been to their country. So it's really cool. Thank you. And Art, I'm going to give you a challenge. I was born with AD in my blood, audio description. <laughs> I cannot accept that Hawaii has no audio description. When I moved to Sacramento, it had no audio description. We have five or six theaters now. So you bring me to Hawaii and I'll get it going for you. How's that sound, Art? And okay. oh, I will say about audio description, if you wait for the shows to do it, it'll never happen. It has to come from the blind person's need. And it is required under the ADA. So, Art, when you're ready to have it, let me know, and I'll happily come and help you start it. Absolutely. We will uh, take this into consideration, and it will be on my uh, topic on my next agenda for August. Excellent. Because I want to come back to Hawaii and, and visit and be able to see. I actually really want to see a luau audio described. I really want to see that. So, thank you. Thank you. Know, you I, I got I, I to gotta say that having it described really would be the best thing. I mean, I've been to so many, so I know what it's like, but for someone who has never been to it, it would be terrific to have. So yes, August agenda, it's on, it's on there. Great. You know, I was in Hawaii many, many years ago uh, when I could see and had the, the uh, experience of attending a luau, but then when we were there a few years ago with Mitch and Donna, it was a totally different situation. Uh, while there was some great volunteers around who did some describing, they did had not been taught uh, how to do audio description. But you know, the fact that they were volunteering to do it at all was greatly appreciated. But that would be absolutely wonderful when we come back again to have audio description. So anything I can do to assist with that art, just let me know, and I'm, I'm more than happy to 
join in with that. Sounds good. Right. I, I'm liking it already. Okay. All right. Next hand. Next, we have Sandra Sermons. Sandra, one of our own committee members. Hello. Hi. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I am a member of MCAC, a proud member. And I just wanted to say that this was an amazing panel. Um, I have been to many of them, but wow, every, everyone gets better every year. Um, just basically commending all of you, saying it's really good. Um, I will join with Margie and Peggy and everybody else. I will gladly come to Hawaii and help you um, get the audio description going for a luau because it is amazing when you have good audio description, um, what you realize you miss, you know, um, all the visual aspects. So excellent, excellent presentation. Um, totally agree that food is the great equalizer. It, it does bring people together. And I'm contributing to um, the Jewish food. You, we've our, Mitch talked about the gefilte fish and the matzah. Don't forget the potato latkes, okay? Those are fabulous. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, Sandra. You're so right. Thanks, guys. All right. Next, we have Anthony. Hi, Anthony. Hello. Hi, I just Anthony. wanted to say this is a really awesome session. I think the only thing that's missing, and I think Peggy, you need to do this and consider next year, you have to bring in the taste of multiculture. You know, let <laughs> everyone taste all the food. I really agree. But, you know, I was thinking about um, luau's, and I, I think um, what Although it is um, a very sight kind of thing. The last time I went to um, a luau with one of my friends who came from um, California, I, I must admit, one of the, uh, the um, staff at one of the luau's was very, very inviting. And matter of fact, one of the things that they always try to do is look at folks and pick out families and pick out individuals you know not necessarily to pick and poke and but to allow them to really get to have the flavor so one of our friends he um they asked him if he wanted to come up and you know they, they not only did they show him how to do the hula they um put on um a grass skirt they put on um a coconut um what do you call that? A coconut bikini on on his chest, and and to put on a lay, and um, they, him along with some of the other attendees, you know, swayed left and right, and you know, he really got the tactile portion of um, what a luau was. So, not only got to um, use one sense, you know, your taste, but also your tactile which was really amazing. And that Thank was fun. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you, Anthony. And you know, your suggestion is something that we tried uh, several different years at various hotels, and that was to have a taste of culture where for our midweek social, we wanted to have different foods from different countries or different ethnicities. And some of them just 
couldn't do it or the price was going to be so astronomical that it didn't fit within our budget. But maybe going forward, that is something that we can do. And we kind of had a taste of something similar one year, but not to the extent that we really wanted to. So maybe that is something that can happen uh, in the future. So thank you for your, your comments and your suggestions. Right. Next, we have Greg. Hi, Greg. Well, hi there, everyone. I've uh, really enjoyed this, this presentation and look forward to part two also. And uh, so my question is for Art. Um, I was curious in terms of Hawaii, what is the, the access to paratransit, public transportation, and ride-sharing services like Uber and Lyft uh, like out there? No, it's a very good question. Um, Hawaii has one of the best um, transit systems in the United States. Um, our bus system is rated pretty high up there. Uh, you can take our city bus and just about go anywhere on the island of Oahu um, and you know do your own uh, traveling or your own excursions, if you will. Uh, in that sense, we also have, you know, this, your regular Uber and uh, Lyft kind of thing. So that is really good, too, uh, if you're into that. Um, we also have a number of private bus companies. Um, you'll see them here on, on the island in different colors, red, blue, yellow, green, and so forth. And these buses uh, are like trolleys. And they'll take you to different parts of the island. You can purchase a day pass for either the city bus or these trolleys. Um, and, you know, for the whole day, you can just get on, get off, get on, get off, and go all over the place. So in terms of travel, I think we really do, um, at least for the island of Oahu, you know, we really do have a, a wonderful system. And let me add to that, because Donna and I, used uh, public buses in Oahu several years ago. The bus system, the Oahu bus system was the first in my experience that not only called stops, but announced places of public interest at those stops. So we were very impressed with the, with the bus system there. And uh, a couple of years later, uh, I think Michael and Peggy were with us, we were on uh, the big island, we were in Kona, and we'd gone yeah. to a coffee plantation, and we called uh, Lyft, and the driver that showed up was the father of an ACB member. Yes. So, uh, and, and I know it was a little slower getting started over there, but uh, public transportation and, and Uber and Lyft are, are, are very good over there, and it's, it's easy for a blind person even a blind tourist to get around uh, on the island. Yeah, it, it, the neighbor islands are um, a little bit behind in terms of, um, you know, mass transit kind of thing, um, handy van or paratransit. We call it handy van here in Hawaii, but paratransit, um, you know, but they do have it. Um, Maui, you know, has its own paratransit service. Um, the big island has its own. Um, and I do believe Kauai, also has a little something there. So, you know, uh, you're not totally left out of the loop. You know, there's, there's some way to get around. Um, and of course, like Mitch was saying, you know, Lyft and Uber is starting to grow 
on on the neighbor islands, and so you're going to get a little bit more uh, assistance from that area as well. All right. Next, we have Meryl Schechter. Hi, Meryl. Hi, everybody. Yes. Um, <clears throat> I first of all thank you all for your wonderful yeah, presentations, and. Um, I wanted to let Mitch know, for example, yeah, about the filter fish, me being Jewish also, um, we used to eat it with horseradish on, on Passover. Um, right. Yeah, and now the other thing, and, and also I am Rick Belcher's fiance, um, from, um, he's from St. Louis and he spoke earlier. But um, I also wanted to say that when I had a guide dog, to art, um, I used to have a guide dog and uh, from Guiding Eyes and his name originally was Kona, like Kona Coffee. And somebody paid the, um, the breeder or whatever $10,000 to change his name to Tanner. I couldn't believe it, but <laughs> that's a true story. And also when I was on a cruise, and we were in Florida. Um, I was able to taste Kona coffee, and I loved it in Key West. So thank you, Merrill. I I have to tell you, I have to tell you that that I love horseradish. Okay. And again, as part as part of the Passover service, uh, the the uh, the eating the meal, uh, you're supposed to taste the bitter herb, the yeah. maror, as it's called. Uh -huh. But I was the only one who would actually eat. The horseradish, uh, and I still eat horseradish, yeah. but even that didn't help the gefilte fish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I love kugel, by the way, potato kugel. Yes. Oh boy, and noodle kugel. Yep. And I'm sorry to hear about the Carnegie Deli not being around anymore. I was in both of them, being from New York originally, now I'm in Maryland, but I was at the Carnegie Deli and Katz's also. Yeah. Yeah, Katz's is the only one of the three big ones, and I've forgotten the third one, but I, forgot I believe Katz's is still open, but Carnegie closed about two years ago, I believe. Wow. Mm, okay. And hi, Sandra. <laughs> oh, and Peggy, everybody. All right. Thank, thank you, Meryl. You're welcome. And I just, I just realized that we're roughly at about 225, and I have sorted Cheryl of uh, the presentation of the book list. So I'm sure there are other hands and I apologize, but I'm going to turn it over to Cheryl to present the reading list that she and uh, some other members of the committee in collaboration with others have presented. If we have any time left after that, we'll try to get some more hands. But for now, Cheryl Cummings is going to share with you the book list. Oh, well, well, thank you, Peggy. I hope we'll have time. Uh, I don't think I have that much to say. We don't. Um, <laughs> but, but basically, um, so in as much as we've talked about food being a connector, we thought another sort of connector and a way about increasing our learning and understanding about each other would be to provide um, literature written about cultures by people of those cultures. Um, so a group of us, um, uh, and, and uh, so Linda Perel from ACB Women, um, Anthony, Anthony Corona from um, Blind Pride International and Gabe 
Lopez Cafati from Blind Pride Connection um, International, my apologies. Um, uh, Pam Hill from MCAC, Mary Heroyan from the Multicultural Affairs Committee and Regina Brink and myself um, got together and decided that what we would, our contribution to, you know, hopefully facilitating some greater understanding and sort of expanding our knowledge and understandings about each other would be to try to find books that are unbarred that talk about different cultures. So we've put together a list. Um, and as we say, you know, we're not experts in anything. So the list is not supposed to be like the, 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 the be all and the end all of lists. It's just a, a compilation of books that we've either read or they were recommended to us. But as I said, and they're all available in Bard and uh, the ones that were available uh, in Braille, we've noted that too. But this is, these are lists that uh, when you go to the Multicultural Affairs Committee webpage, you can download. So um, we came up with some criteria for selecting the books. As you said, they're focusing on the different cultures. So we've got books about African-Americans, books about Latinos, Latinx community. Uh, we've got books about women and feminism. We've got books about um, people with disabilities, uh, books on uh, LGBTQ uh, plus community. And am I, I think I, that's everybody, uh, Asian Americans and Native Americans. Um, and as I said, the, the list, all of the books are available in Bard. Uh, and we have two categories, fiction and nonfiction. And in each category, we came up with, you know, 10 authors, nonfiction, 10 authors, uh, fiction for each, each list. The, the one sort of um, thing that's a little different is on the blindness and people with disabilities list. The nonfiction section contains, you know, books that talk about uh, blindness history, but an, uh, and and more broadly disability history. And then we wanted to um, highlight the work of blind and uh, visually impaired authors. So in the fiction section, all of the books are written. All of the authors are there's people who are blind and or, or low vision. Um, and some of them are people who have been blind all their life and others were perhaps, you know, a famous author who lost their vision um, later on in life and continued sort of working as an author. So um, we hope that everybody will uh, go to the um, Multicultural Affairs webpage. Um, and as Becky, Peggy said, you can get to that by going through, going to acb.org, looking for the committees, and then um, you'll see the links to all of the different lists. And if you click on the link, it will automatically download the list to your download folder, and you can explore. We hope that you will enjoy the books. And, um, you know, as you read, um, if, if it sparks any sort of interest or you're like, hey, I've got a book, send us the book. So maybe, you know, we can start putting together a new list.
because uh, as I said, we're not experts. We're just people who have, um, you know, enjoyed reading some of these books and wanted to share them with um, our ACB members. So that's everything I've got, Peggy. Thank you, Cheryl. And uh, I looked at that list and there's some really interesting books on there that I hope one day I have the time to read because <laughs> they really sound good. Some of them really sound interesting. So um, just a couple other things I, I, I want to say to you all that this is my last year chairing the Multicultural Affairs Committee. Uh, at the end of convention, President Spoon will be uh, making new assignments to the committees and I will be stepping down and Cheryl Cummings will be the incoming uh, chair. Um, I, I just want to say thanks to the committee for your support, for all that you've done, all that you I know you will continue to do under Cheryl's leadership. Uh, to make multicultural the success in obtaining, reaching our, our, our vision, our, our just our goals, as well as our mission. So thank you for all of that. Uh, with that, let me give you the closing code for those of you who are uh, needing the CEU code. It is 31739. Again, that is 31739. And for the remainder, I don't I think we have what maybe five minutes or so left. Let's open up for any additional questions or any other hands that may be raised. Actually, you have quite a bit of time left. Oh, do we? Okay. Well, let's take some more questions. Yeah, because um you technically have until just making sure now 345. 345. Yeah. Okay, where are we now? Yeah, so it's only 235. Oh, okay, so we have 10 minutes. Okay, great. Oh, it's we, just... we have an hour and 10 minutes. Yeah. Oh, we're at 235 Eastern. Oh, my gosh, yeah. I'm running out of time. Okay. No. Let's, let's oh, I would have told you. Questions. All I right. would have totally told you. <laughs> All, right, All right, let's get some hands. All righty, our next hand is area code 818, ending in 610. You may unmute. Good morning and good afternoon. This is Pam Metz. Hey, and first off, hi, you guys. I hope all of you are doing okay. Um, first off, the, the presentation was phenomenal. And Cheryl, next time I see you, I have to come try some more of your mother's dishes. <laughs> Yeah, because she introduced me to Caribbean food already. So um, it was great. And my husband, who was Jewish, taught me how to make potato latkes, and they are very good. Um, but I enjoyed it because it, I have been to Hawaii on a cruise. And as much as I enjoyed Pearl Harbor, which is audio described, um, I would have loved to see the luau that we attended the audio described. And so... Um, but the tour guide we had across the island, he did a great job describing everything we passed. Um, but uh, I would have loved to see more of more of the luau described. So it would be great to go back when I decide to go back to see that described. But it was a great presentation. I enjoyed it. And as far as the book list is concerned, even Cheryl got me interested in reading some of the nonfiction, which I normally don't read. And... Um, some of the other fiction and some of the other categories, which I found fascinating, I'm actually reading one right now. 
So it was great. I had a great time working on the book list, and I have enjoyed working with Peggy for I won't count years. Um, <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> Eleven. Now it's seven or eight Early. years now. So um, mm-hmm. enjoyed working with every um, Peggy and Michael, especially Michael, because Michael and I got to to discuss over what top what the um, the uh, our what was our our statement was going to be for each year. It was fun. So you guys oh, all have please. a great. Our theme, thank you. Our theme was going to be that was Michael and I just we um mm-hmm, enjoyed doing that. So you guys all have a great Sunday, and it's been fun listening to all the different cultures. And I love Mexican food. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. All right, thanks, Pam. All right, my finger slipped. I didn't mean to do that. Uh, I was enjoying what she said. All right, Serena, you are next. Hi, Serena. Uh, Serena. Kimball. Hi. Hi, Peggy. Everyone, congratulations on an excellent panel. I don't expect anyone to be able to answer this or make a response to this comment. Uh, And perhaps it's something that can be dealt with in next year's convention. But we all, as individuals who live with blindness or vision impairment, understand coming from our respective communities, how we are treated regarding uh, in relationship to our disability. You know, here in the United States, uh, we have access to so much more. But when you hear from individuals from around the world, you get a certain appreciation for how little we, in some instances, do appreciate and value what we have. But what I really am trying to get at is, I would really be curious to learn from any panelists, either during this session, what time remains, or next year, about the stereotypes of their group that also impede their development. And how, if they have experienced that stereotype along with their disability, how they have dealt with it when interacting with another person different from them, if that makes sense. Okay. Would anyone, any of our panelists like to address that? Um, this is Cheryl. I, I could certainly start. So okay. I think if, I, if I'm understanding correctly, you, you want to understand sort of how our disability is interacting with our racial or group identity, right? Exactly. Exactly. How that has also been, it may have been or may not have been a barrier for you in terms of how you live your life. Yeah. But stereotypes are a, are a big thing and we often walk around it, you know, skip around it. We do all kinds of things. But I think considering our topic of diversity, inclusion, et cetera, we need to have some time. Oh. Yep, yeah, we're hearing you. Cheryl, if you if you kind of got the uh, gist of the question, I, I think she may her internet or something may have dropped. Okay, yeah. So, so as I said in my presentation, I'm a, a African American or black person, um, and so certainly my race and my disability um, play a role in sort of how I've dealt with my life or and and has impacted sort of uh, my life so i think um one of one of the sort of 
um, experiences I've had is in being in groups that focus on civil rights, for instance. And um, this was a while ago when I know things have changed, but I know that, um, you know, groups tended to be very sort of focused on what they were focused on. So I, I, I had an experience um, where we were working on an issue and I said, well, what about, you know, folks who are blind or people with disabilities? And at the time I was told, <clears throat> you know, that's not why we're here. We're working on race and that's, that's what we're gonna do now. And maybe later on we'll deal with disability. Um, so, and as I said, that was many years ago. Um, I think today there's a greater emphasis on sort of trying to understand and to realize that you can't and you shouldn't force people to make those sort of distinctions um, of within themselves. But I mean, realistically, um, I think that's the way the world approached um, sort of fighting for justice, mm -hmm. that it was like, okay, you know, you've got to choose one to work on. You can't necessarily be uh, everything sort of the whole you when you're working on these issues. You know, I, and the other thing I found is that um, when seeking employment, um, you know, there are laws, of course, there's the ADA, but even with the ADA, um, I found that people were more comfortable uh, saying like, oh, I'm not comfortable being around you because you're blind. Um, and, and I felt that, that the sort of discrimination people felt okay. Uh, again, a few years ago, as expressing that as it concerns my disability versus it concerning my race, because they knew, you know, they'd all been trained right? That like, you don't say that to a black person anymore, or you, you certainly do not do anything that would suggest that you like, you don't want this person around. But it always seemed to me that at the time, those sort of sentiments didn't exist concerning a disability. So they were fine, just going like, oh, no, no, <laughs> we're not going to hire you. You're blind. Um, and, and of course, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, you can't like say, is it because I'm blind and I'm black? Or is it because I'm blind and black and a woman? I don't know. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's always there. And I'd say one of the things that, you know, my mom taught me and even like my the Guyana, being in Guyana taught me was, it, it, I mean, certainly to acknowledge that that exists but then my gosh, you just sort of do the best you can and you sort of, you still pursue whatever goals is that it is that you set for yourself. Um, you know, my, my mom and I mean, maybe she's tolerated this for me, but she, I've always been allowed to, you know, you always reach for the best, right? You always strive to achieve your ultimate goal. So, eh. If you don't meet it, it's okay. But you know, but if you do meet it, my gosh, what a wonderful experience. Right. 
Um, so, so I suppose that's the way I've sort of responded to the reality that there's prejudice and discrimination. I know it exists and, I, and I've experienced it, um, but, I, but you can't let it be the thing that stops you. Um, and, and maybe in some instances that means like the doors you're knocking on, they're not the right doors that you need to turn around and go someplace else to get uh, whatever it is you're, you're trying to accomplish done. So that, that's my response. Anyone else want to respond? So yeah, this is Art. Um, if I understand the question correctly, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I kind of briefly mentioned it a little bit in my opening talk about how the different Asian cultures here, um, especially, you know, uh, years ago, they the tendency was to kind of keep it secret, you know, don't let's not let the world know that we have a blind child or even a disabled child for that matter. Um, so it was always kind of kept a secret. Uh, however, because I believe the advancement of technology had come and it had come in at a right, at a right time where it actually helps um, the disabled person whether it's blind or physical. Um, now, you know, the blind, I'm, I'm starting to see more of them are actually getting out there, doing things, going to school, getting uh, educations, um, actually applying for jobs and, 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 you know, being part of the community. Now, in terms of jobs, um, well, you know, it's a little bit to be worked on. I, I think, I think Hawaii, we still need some work in that area. You know, we um, employers haven't quite yet grasped the full concept that hey, you know, despite this person's limitations of sight, um, he or she can still do the job. You know, that that concept hasn't quite hit home yet, but um, we are working hard at it, I think. Um, I do see more and more of our blind um, compadres, uh, if you will, that are actually working in the, in the workforce. Um, and I, I actually see even the younger ones now, you know, like in the 20s, um, are actually in there getting jobs. You know, whereas when I was in my 20s, God, it was, a, it was the hardest thing to even find a job or let it even get uh, an interview for that matter. So, um, but other than that, I think, I think we're doing good. I think we are. All right. All right, any other hands raised? Oh, yes. Next we have, next we have Maria. Maria, you may speak. Hi, Maria. Hi, everyone. This has been so much uh, fun listening to, and um, I can I can definitely relate. I'm an immigrant from Bosnia, and I can definitely relate to the to the food being the great equalizer and the what does she eat. And uh, I wish we could have had some music samples, but of course that, for this, but of course I understand you know copyright issues and such. Um, so uh, anyway, I was just uh, wondering if you and I don't mean to put people on the spot if you don't have any, that's fine. But I 
I was just kind of wondering, is there some cultural peeve, like pet peeve that you have that like some misconception that people just always ask you or like always think when they hear that you're, you know, from such and such a background? And I guess it kind of relates to the stereotype question, but like more broadly, not necessarily with blindness, but more from a, like a cultural um, perspective. Is there some stereotype that you'd, you know, kind of like to to bust like for me i always think when i say i'm from bosnia and people are like oh is there still a war there and it's like no the war ended in 1995 like things have you know <laughs> moved forward so i was just wondering if you wanted to take the opportunity to to bust any uh, stereotypes <laughs> thanks well, Mar maria before you go i'd like to ask you a question is there a particular food or menu or deli or something that you like to share because I think I've ever had food from the Oh, with us a little bit. Oh, well, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. Um, so it's very interesting because I'm actually, <laughs> I'm a vegetarian and a lot of the food is meat based, not all. So I'll tell you the one that um, I eat and that I think it's pretty well known for is something that we call it pita, P-I-T-A, but it's sort of kind of similar to the Greek um, spanakopita, but there are some differences. Um, so it uses phyllo dough, which is like a flaky uh, pastry type type uh, uh, cr crust or like so something that surrounds. And then inside is, um, there are different kinds. There's like a spinach and cheese one, which also can have some egg in it. Um, definitely like this, the cheese could be like a ricotta cheese or a and, and a feta cheese. Um, there is a, uh, I've seen ones made of pumpkin and that's also a very interesting one. Um, there's, you know, potato and onion ones. Uh, of course there's a meat one, like I said. Um, and so I've seen, um, like in Balkan, there is apparently a recent, um, in, in Brooklyn, my brother lives in New York City, and he said he just tried, uh, like last week, a new uh, restaurant on uh, North 9th Street in Brooklyn that apparently opened up a month back, which is Balkan. And he said they're, they're they called it a, the reason I, I brought that up is they call it a pie. They'll say like spinach and cheese pie. So I have heard it referred to that as well, but it's not like a pie crust. It's like a, you know, sliced thing with with the phyllodon in, in the fillings um and so that's pizza i would say one of the ones that um the region is like really well known for is something called chivapi which are these again i don't eat, <laughs> i don't eat them because i'm a vegetarian but uh they're uh they're these sausage i mean yeah sausage uh shaped they're made of um i guess it's, it can be kind of a blend i know my parents make it like a blend um they all my parents and my brother you know eat them so it's like beef and pork and apparently my dad gets like very specific about like what portion of the uh i forget now but it's like a certain part of the i think it's especially with the beef side that he's like if i don't buy this particular part it like it tastes different so he's very specific on how he makes them but um they're also they're um they're blended together um, and then uh, they're, they're seasoned with this uh, thing called vegeta, which is um, V-E-G-E-T-A. And it's like a salted, um, salt-based, but also like vegetables, like ground vegetables and there are various kinds. Again, people can kind of mix it up the way they want, um, but you make the seasoning in it. I mean, it lasts forever because it's like salt-based and you put it in a lot of different things. Um, and uh, I know now it's become 
well, at least I think it has my, I, I know my parents in, in the local, uh, like supermarket where they go, they actually brought it to the, uh, people who are the managers. And so the managers started to like carry Vegeta now because of my parents. So, um, yeah, so, uh, you probably can get it. I mean, there are bulk in, you know, types like in New York city, there is in, and some, I think Ohio has a, a good, uh, a decent, you know, size settlement of people from the former Yugoslavian countries. So, you know, wherever kind of the community spring up, you can, you can get stuff. Um, so yeah, those are, I would say like two major, I mean, there are sweets and such as well. There's something um, like automashitsa, which is like a sweet uh, biscuit type, which um, is made of uh, some nuts as well, but also very sweet. It's made with like a honey syrup and such. So uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I cut you off. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I, I'm always, like I said, interested in, in new, new uh, foods and, and all of that. that. Maybe some of the other folks on the call was, were familiar with that, but Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure. So, so panelists, who would like to take that question about your pet peeve, something that people always assume because of your culture or your ethnicity? So I, 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 I would, I would. Thank you, Maria. Okay. I like that question. Um, you know, coming from Hawaii, um, a lot of times when people are first uh, interested in Hawaii and they talk, they want to know more, one of the, the one, the, the big question I get is always, do you folks still live in grass shacks? <clears throat> and I just like to kind of choke their necks when they tell me that because it's like, <laughs> yes, we live in grass shacks. My Cat5 cable comes through the wall and I get it connected to my <laughs> Apple computer and I have to hold down the roof when it rains and winds because otherwise it'll just blow away. So yeah, that's that would be my pet peeve. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I can go next. Um, so I think that for me, like a lot of people assume the Indians are monolith or like one culture, one country. Um, so gets for me that it's like India is pretty like, diverse. It's like we don't have one culture that we all kind of follow. We all have like our own separate. Um, it varies from region, varies from region to region. So, um, kind of my Pongal and my like celebrations are different from like someone from um, like the capital, the capital of Delhi, or somewhere somewhere from um, the the state of Karnataka, or somewhere from um, Punjab. Like it's it varies from region to region. So it's like it's kind of thing I want to address. It's like um, we're not a monolith, and um, I've actually never had vindaloo, so it's never resembled the thing that I've eaten. So yeah. That's just just because like I it's not it's not my area of like what food we have in my area so. Well, you should try vindaloo is wonderful. I've actually <laughs> tried on more than one occasion. One of the things that I used to really enjoy about going to the mid year meetings in uh, D.C. was there was a restaurant that we went to several years in a row, and they had some of the best Indian food I think I've ever eaten. I absolutely loved it. What the called? <laughs> They closed, and so oh, there's no one there, but it was it was absolutely wonderful. Oh. Anyone else want to address that question? Comments? Peggy, okay. let me, if I can, I was I was sure. muted before, I guess. Let me respond mm -hmm. to the to the previous question about about stereotypes and what what folks from different cultures have to have to deal with or or however they handle it. There is a, an expectation uh, in the Jewish community, and I think the same expectation 
at least with the Cubanos that I've, I've met over the years, uh, education is foremost. And uh, in my family, there was never, ever a question that I was going to go to college. But beyond that, uh, because I was blind and I was um, raised by my mother from the age of 11, my dad passed away when I was 11. Not only was I going to go to college, but I was also going to have to be better than everybody else that I was in school with because I was blind. And it wasn't enough to be as good, but you had to be better. Mm -hmm. and, and I did that, um, although it wasn't always easy. But, but the, other, the other piece within the, within the culture, and I think it's pretty much across the board in at least uh, what limited experience I have with other cultures, uh, is that the parents, for the most part, um, try to shelter you. And I became estranged from other members of my family over the years because I got tired of, of them saying, well, sit over here, we'll get you everything, we'll take care of you, we'll, you know, you don't have to do anything, just sit, be out of the way. And I finally decided that that was enough, was enough, and I wasn't going to deal with that. And so I don't have what little family I have left. Uh, I really don't have much of a, uh, much communication with them, because um, I tried for decades to educate them. And I finally decided I'm not going to educate anymore. I'm just going to pick myself up and, you know, get separated from, from all of that. But um, there, there is an expectation of education. And I think it's doubly uh, the case uh, if, if you are uh, also you know, blind or have, have another disability within, the, within our culture. Thank you, Mitch, for sharing that. Interesting, because I had something similar in my life as well. So that's really interesting. Anyone else? Oh, yes. Uh, our next hand is area code 626, ending in 388. You may Hello, speak. Erica. Hi, Erica. Hello there. It's Donna. <laughs> oh, hey, Donna. <laughs> hey. I'm actually coming to the other side of the house. I've been babysitting the bird. <laughs> so that he wouldn't be yelling and, and wanting to be a part of the panel. But, you know, I, I, um, I want to go back just briefly to, um, you know, what, what Sarita had shared. Um, and, and before I share about that, um, and I am happy to be serving on multicultural as well. Peggy's been, um, a very good chair and I've enjoyed working with the committee as well. And, and, you know, just want to say that, um, each and every one of us are different. Um, mm -hmm. even if we come from the same culture and or ethnicity, um, and, um, I, I would just like to implore all of us in our zeal for liberation, um, you know, and, and I know, you know, some of my words will offend some people and, you know, I'm speaking from my heart. Um, so if it does, it's not meant to. Um, but I would like to share with, with people 
to listen to each other um, as we continue moving through life in our journey. Uh, you know, words are, quote-unquote, a very important thing, and they're a very important thing to each and every one of us. And there are words that, um, you know, folks are saying, you know, uh, you need to, you know, you need to say, um, you know, uh, either, you know, Latinx or Latin or Latino or Latina. And that's just one example. Um, I continue moving forward in my journey and becoming even more and more self-reflective. Um, because tomorrow is not promised to any of us. And I want to be, strive to be, with God's help and mercy, the best Donna that I can be. And one of the things that came to me in the discussion that Mitch and I were having yesterday is in my culture, as someone who is Latina, um, when I was growing up, there was a very basic tenet. We were always taught to ask someone how they wish to be addressed. And um, that is so important. Um, you know, speaking with someone, um, you know, who helped bring me to center. Um, you know, I, I was, again... Um, taught a very, very valuable thing, and it reminded me, you know, of that basic tenet that I grew up with. Um, so I would encourage people, instead of, you know, being passionate, I, you know, I would always say, you know, my people are a passionate people. Well, we are. <laughs> you know, we're all heart, for better or for worse. And, um, you know, it, it's a matter of, okay, we know how we wish to be addressed as an individual, and we may find other people in common with us who say, oh, yes, you know, I'm Mexican and I want to be called Mexican. And then you might find somebody else from Mexico who would say, no, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, Latina or Latino. Let's ask. Let's go back to that very basic tenet of asking how a person wants to be addressed. And um, to Sarita's question, um, my family, I was blessed to have a mother who is and was a trailblazer. And so many tears that she shed um, while I was growing up that I never knew about because she wasn't someone with higher education and letters after her name. And she isn't. I'm blessed that she's still alive and here with me today. And my father as well. They're not people of letters. But she knew somewhere in her heart, even though everyone around her, including family, that were people of letters, um, she knew that she had to encourage me to get out there to be strong, to tell me at an early age that I was going to be hurt, to tell me at an early age that it was going to be hard, 
but that I had the ability to be whoever and whatever I wanted to be if I had the spirit and the energy to do so. And family always said, you're, you're terrible to my mother. We go to family gatherings and they would, you know, we'd get there and it's like all the cousins would immediately run outside into the yard to play and I'd be running with them. And, you know, the aunts and uncle, not out of, not out of anything bad, but out of a lack of knowledge would tell her, oh, my God, you need to make her stay in here with us. And that was just a basic thing. And my mom says, no. And they would say, well, what are you going to do if she falls? Well, I'm not going to do anything. She's going to get up. And if she doesn't get up, then, you know, we're going to do what we do with all the other kids and take them to the hospital to get a cast on the arm or the leg or whatever. And they would say, oh, you poor thing, she's blind. Oh, you know, she's not, you know, going to be able to be anything or do anything. And my mom's like, oh, yes, she will. She's going to be and do whatever she wants to be and do. And, you know, that was a blessing. And until very recently, I didn't know how painful that was for my mom to be standing up to her brothers and sisters and my dad's brothers and sisters and even the parents. But I'm blessed today because of the strength of my family and my mother and my father and my brother and my sister to say, hey, you can do whatever you want to do if you want to do it. And so, anyway, apologies for taking so much time, but thank you for listening. Thank you, Donna, for sharing. All right, other hands. Oh, yes. Okay, All good. Right. Yes, you've got uh, you got at least four more. Okay. Uh, all right. Hi. Next is Terry. Hi, Terry. Hi, Peggy. Hi, everyone. Welcome. I just wanted to um, thank you. It's such a great time. Um, just wanted to make a comment about um, Lay's in Hawaii. That you know. Um, Alay is actually such an embodiment of um, multicultural because in Hawaii, we, well, before they used to give you Alay when you came to Hawaii. So right off of the planes, they would welcome you with Alay. When we have um, graduations, we give Alay to congratulate you. Um, when we have parties, we give out lays to thank you for um, for coming and for helping. And even with the lays that we um, bring, some of them are made from flowers, from yarn, from shells. Even um, some make from um, like origami and money. So it, it, it also embodies their culture, the kind of lays that they they give out so yeah that's um the comment i wanted to make about um living in hawaii and um yeah at, even at the local general store you can just go pick up a lay anywhere because it's so common still in hawaii to to give a lay even when we come to in-person conventions that we miss so much we um tend to bring our puka shell lays to give to our friends or family that we haven't seen um, in quite a while. 
so Terry, are there different kinds of lays? Yes, so there's, um, so they even at, um, for kupunas, you know, so our, our elderly people, sometimes they go to like um, adult daycare. Mm -hmm. So sometimes they make, you know, they teach younger generations how to make like the yarn lays and the flower lays. So in answer to the question, yeah, there's flower lays and there's um, shell lays. There's money lays. There's origami lays. There's um, lays made out of um, thread. And they, it just goes around um, your neck. And especially at graduation time, the graduate, the person that's graduating, sometimes he or she has lays all the way past their eyes or their eyebrows. So oh, they wow. have to have their family help them because they, they're they so filled with um, love and aloha from the lays. <laughs> it's, mm. um, it's just an abundance. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And when I come back, I guess I want a money lay next time, huh? <laughs> All right. Thank you, Terry. It's good to hear your voice. All right. Next hand. Next we have Regina. Maji Regina? Regina Marie. Hey. Hello. Thank you. And I want to echo the rest of the committee in saying this presentation has been amazing. And thank all of the panelists and thank uh, Mitch and Peggy for being such able uh, facilitators. So I have a question about what I want to just go back and, and I love food too. And we've talked a lot about food and we touched on music a little bit, but mm -hmm. I, one of my fondest memories was sitting with, with my uncles and my grandfather who all played guitar and they would sing together in wonderful harmony and in Spanish. And I'm Latina as well. And when um, I got to be about 10 years old, one of my uncles took me aside because I love to sing as well. And he started to teach me the traditional Spanish songs with his guitar. And he didn't only teach me the song, but what it meant. And um, where it came from and, and why we sang it. So I was wondering if the panelists could share like something about music that they treasured from their culture. And also, Peggy, thank you for being such a gracious and wonderful chair. <laughs> I just, thank you, Regina. you are a blessing. Thanks. Thank you. All right. So who wants to talk about music? Don't be shy. Well, while, while they're thinking and deciding who wants to speak first, I, I will share with you all that several years ago, uh, one of our one of our programs was uh, was based on music. We asked all of our attendees if they would bring a record, a, a CD, whatever format of music. To, that was relevant to their particular ethnicity. And it was really interesting that in some cases, while we couldn't understand the words, just listening to the melodies would kind of take you to a certain mood or take you through a certain thought, maybe something from your past. 
But it was just really interesting how music affects us. And, and, and it really does. Uh, if it's sad, if it has the undertones of being romantic, or if it's something really fast that makes you want to get up and just dance like nobody's watching, just do your thing, you know, but, but our music does have effect, you know, affect us in some way. So I thought that was really, really interesting uh, that, you know, how that music did, did put us in certain moods or, or make us have certain thoughts about things from our past. You know, Peggy Wilder, Wilder. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Well, I was uh, just going to say that that uh, one of the one of the great comedians, uh, Borscht Belt comedians of the 40s, the Borscht Belt, for those who don't know, was up in the Catskill Mountains. And they, during the summer, there were all these, these hotels and inns where Jewish comedians performed. Uh, Red Skelton and, uh, and a bunch of people you saw on TV in the 50s and 60s. But one of them, was a, was a gentleman named Mickey Katz. Now, Mickey mm. Katz's son, you will know, is Joel Gray of Cabaret fame. But Mickey Katz was the, uh, was the Weird Al Yankovic of his day. Uh, he, he would take popular songs and sing and do parodies, uh, half in Yiddish and half in English. And when I was a kid... Uh, my mother took me, he would perform in Los Angeles once a year. By the time I was 11 or 12, I understood about half of the Yiddish. But to give you an idea, and, and you have to be almost my age to know the songs, um, one of his songs was was uh, Schlepping My Baby Back Home. Schlepping means carrying to uh, walking my baby back home. And then he did a parody of the old song Davy Crockett, called Duvid Crockett, King of Delancey Street. So I grew up listening to Jewish comedy and to Mickey Katz. And I think, Peggy, that that uh, that event we had, I believe I brought a tape uh, of, uh, of Mickey Katz songs that, that I've had. My father recorded one of his shows way back in the 50s. And I still have a cassette of that. Mickey Katz uh, show along with other another Jewish comedian named Myron Cohen that some of you may know. But uh, Jewish comedians, you know, they're 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 just so ubiquitous. But Mickey Katz was the first one, and he mm -hmm. he blended comedy with music, and and to this day I still smile when I when I listen to his song. All right, yeah, you, you did mention, and it was amazing. Um, and those are kinds of memories that, that it's good to keep because once they're gone, they're gone. Uh, I don't know if you've considered getting that getting that put on a CD or MP3 or something that you can have forever, but, you know, just a thought. No, I need to do that. You're right. Yeah. All right. Anyone else want to respond? Yeah, this is Cheryl. I want to talk about Calypso music. Um, ah. my, Tim, my husband calls this calls it jump jump music <laughs> and everybody knows it's a steel band and you know it's it's just so it's it's I remember as a kid I mean it's fantastic music you can dance to it but if you listen to the words a lot of times it was actually 
sort of, uh, it could be, um, a lot of times it was poking fun at politics or calling out some sort of decision that the government made or something that a company did. Um, and I remember um, that when I came to the United States, I, I, I was initially like, oh, their music doesn't do that. I mean, not, not that Calypso doesn't sing about love and that type of stuff, but the popular music, uh, I, you know, as I said, was Calypso and it's, it's party music, it's dance music, but it's also music that's used to criticize stuff that's happening in the society. Um, and and um, so even as a kid, you know, you learn the words and you're not always aware of what you're singing because you're a kid. But as you get older, you're like, hold on. <laughs> they, they're actually criticizing, you know, uh, like the British taking over the control of uh, petroleum in Trinidad or mm -hmm. they're criticizing, you know, and, well, you know, and the fact that like it's it's. That, like, for instance, the plant is in Trinidad, but Trinidadians can't work there because the British control it and they're bringing people from England or stuff like that. So it's, I mean, but they're, they're, so that's one aspect of Calypso that I don't know that a lot of people are aware of. Um, but as I said, it's also fun stuff. I mean, because, you know, it could just be like, it could also be um, a, a, a way to, um, you know, talking about a particular dance, because um, mm -hmm. and you know, like like popular music everywhere. Sometimes a calypso would rise to the top, and part of it was that it had just introduced a dance, a particular dance that you could do to the calypso, um, and then everybody was dancing. And the other thing that I that I loved about calypso music was, you know, when our families, because um, you know, when once we moved to Chicago. Uh, there were other sort of Guyanese uh, families who were also in the area and we would get together and, you know, you'd put on the Calypso music and it was the time when like my grandmother and her friends, they would get up and dance. And it was always fun to see, you know, your grandparents dancing and they're like, Oh, let's show the kids how it's done. <laughs> so oh, wow. it's, it's a nice memory. Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. Okay. Any other comments? Okay, well, how are we doing for time? And how many more hands do we have? It is now 3.22, and okay. we have one hand. Okay, let's take that hand. All right, and Rita, you may speak. Hi, Rita. Rita Dillick. It's been, this, this has been a really, really interesting session. I really loved hearing everybody's experiences. I grew up in Turkey and, um, you know, Istanbul, but I've been, I've been out of there for, got 50 years by now. So, um, but um, like my family doesn't seem to have a lot of problems, except that they, they had to deal with, people's prejudices and everybody telling them, you know, send the kids, you know, send the kid to a school for the blind, but there wasn't one. I lived in Istanbul and the nearest one was about 500 miles away. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
But they decided, okay, they would try and experiment, see if I could go through school and, and go ahead and stuff. And um, so, you know, it, it worked out, but they did encourage me to go abroad for college because, you know, there really weren't resources. Now it's a lot better, but it wasn't at the time. Um, but the thing that I'm remembering, which is kind of an interesting, I read a, a Turkish, a classic Turkish novel, um, which was written shortly after the First World War. And the author talked about, well, he was wounded in the war and he decided to go to a village where, you know, he was from a high up family and he went to uh, live with, you know, where one of his servants was living in the village. And he said, you know, because he'd been wounded and he thought everybody would appreciate his sacrifice and stuff like that. And he said, everybody had some sort of disability. So they paid zilch attention to him. You know, they didn't, they didn't appreciate the fact that he'd lost an arm or something. I mean, there was a blind girl, a guy that was a, a boy that was uh, uh, limping and stuff like that. And, and everybody had all kinds of different prob problems. And he said it just wasn't even noticed. And he was really annoyed. And that's what he expresses in his, in his uh, you know, it's, it's sort of a, a journal of somebody who'd been a war veteran and went to live in a village. So I just, I just thought about that because it was like, you know, the blind girl was running around all over the place and stuff. And, and you know, she acted like there was nothing. And, you know, the whole village accepted it like it was nothing. But they, they had so many other disabilities that it didn't matter. So just my comment there. Well, thank you for sharing that. But before you go, would you like to share a favorite food, recipe, or something from, your, from the tur uh, turkey culture? Um, well, culture. and food is it's fairly similar to Greek food, actually. Um, mm. You know, but, you know, there are a lot of things like uh, grilled, you know, grilled meat or um, lamb or chicken, you know, or beef, that sort of thing. No pork, obviously, because it's a Muslim culture. Um, there's a lot of dishes which are vegetarian dishes, which are really nice, you know, like, um, and it, usually when they cook it with uh, olive oil, it's supposed to be eaten cold. So they'll do like a like a summer stew with eggplant and zucchini and uh, okra and uh, peppers and tomatoes and it's wonderful. I love that. So I try to make that. Although it's hard hard to find okra around here. I'm I'm in Vancouver, BC right now, so mm -hmm. I can I can sometimes get it frozen, but you know, um, but you know, so I make that myself. So. Oh. Well, thank you so much for sharing All right. that. You're welcome. <laughs> okay. Right. Oh, you have a great day now. Thank you. Right. Thank was, you very much. Was that the last hand? Yes, ma'am, it sure is. Okay. And we have how much time left? It is now 327. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Well, we did a lot better than I thought we would in terms of time, but this has been really interesting to me. I've learned a lot in listening to uh, the both the panel as well as participants who called in and, and shared. 
uh, I'm glad this has turned out to be something that's been as interesting to others as I had hoped it would be. Uh, you know, but I have an idea that just occurred to me as I was sitting here listening and we're talking about food and we're talking about music. Uh, I know that right now there is a move afoot to put together a cookbook. But what I'd like to see Multicultural Affairs do is put together a cookbook with recipes from various ethnicities. I think the one that's being uh, worked on right now is cooking in the Instant Pot and the uh, the the fryer, Instant Fryer, and you know, and all those kinds of things. But I would like to see an ethnic cookbook where people just share recipes from their various cultures. And I don't know if anybody else would enjoy that, but I think I know that I would. So that's something we can we can kind of put on the uh, calendar to think about going forward. Uh, is there anything else that any of the panelists, Mitch, or or anybody would like to share before we open up for the last few minutes just to let people kind of chime in and, and we can unmute everybody and just let folks say hello and kind of have just a little bit of the kind of interactions that we'd have if we were together. Um, Peggy, this is Cheryl. Yes. I, I want to say Cheryl. thank you. Thank you again for inviting me to be on the panel and um, just how um, wonderful it's been working with you and getting to know you. Um, and I, I hope that the fact that you are sort of formally, sorry, formally stepping down from being chair, you're not going away because, you know, we need your knowledge and um, your guidance <laughs> moving forward um but just wanted to say you've been a, a wonderful leader i've so much admired the way you've helped us always to be able to have like open and honest discussions that end up with consensus rather than uh disagreement so thank you so much thank you this is art and i'd like to <laughs> echo the sentiment you know, thank you again for allowing myself to uh, come this today and share a little bit about Hawaii. And um, I hope to get to know more of you as we attend future conventions. Thank you so much, Art. And I want to thank all of the panelists today because I know this took a huge uh, uh, chunk out of your day uh, to participate on this panel. But I thank you. I've learned a lot from, from each one of you. Um, and I um, hope that you've learned something from each other that you can share. And that's what it's all about is getting to know each other, getting to know our backgrounds and our cultures, and then sharing that information with other folks. Because sometimes we are separate because we don't have the knowledge that we need to come together. And that's been one of the things I really enjoyed of, about multicultural. It, it has given me an opportunity to meet a lot of people, to experience uh, a lot of different cultures and ethnicities that I was only vaguely aware of. Uh, it encouraged me to read and study more, to get to know more about other other groups. So, And no, Cheryl, I'm not going away uh, unless the Lord says something different. I plan to be around just more in the background, uh, want to settle down a little bit and have a little bit more me time uh, than I've had with all of my commitment. So, But I will be here and will help in any way that I can. And, and Peggy? Yes, Mitch. 
my, my other partner. A, <laughs> yeah, I want to make a closing comment. Um, yeah. In over the last several years, there have been efforts on both the left and the right to divide us, um, mm. cultures, ethnicities, races. Mm-hmm. The reality is that those of us on this panel uh, and, and in the audience, we have two things in common. Uh, and, and I don't know how many folks are from Canada, but we have at least one. But most of us, we have two things in common. Number one, we're Americans. And number two, we're blind and visually impaired or, or visually impaired. And those are two very important parts uh, or, or, or pieces that make us who we are as, as people. We can't avoid it. Um, you know, I've been around long enough that I remember when the People First movement got started a long time ago. Mm. But whether we say we're persons who happen to be blind or, or we say we're blind persons, we still have a visual disability. We all happen to live in the United States. And I think the one thing that today's discussion has or should have reminded us all is that we have perhaps more things in common in terms of our experiences than not. And and when we start talking or when we hear on the news about uh, one one ethnic group against another or or trying to to bring down one group uh, over another, we have to remember that because we are first and foremost uh, we share the fact that we, we are we live in the United States and that we are have a visual we all have a visual disability. And we need to keep that in mind and and temper the the uh, the vitriol and the negativity. Uh, I, I remember Donna has enough vision to be dangerous, as she puts it, and, and we've taken three or four vacations with Michael and Peggy, and I'm always fascinated when Donna, when the four of us are walking down a street, we have two African-Americans, a Latina, and a white guy, and, and the looks we get that Donna sees like, wow, what's going on here? Not only all these ethnicities but they're blind too man you know they they're <laughs> why are they doing that how are they doing that so we got to remember that that we have perhaps more similarities than differences and i appreciate today's today's discussion i, I think it was i think it was fantastic and uh, if, if there's a podcast out there and i think there will be i think i'm going to listen to it again thank you all right thank you mitch any other parting words? All right. Well, I gave the, the, the CEU a little earlier, but I'll go ahead and give it again. It is 317-39-317-39. And I want to thank the panelists again. I want to thank all of those who participated for being with us today. I enjoyed it. Hope that you all did too. And if we have any time left, let's just open it up and let everybody just kind of say hello, goodbye, or whatever they want to share. All right. It'll take a minute, but I'll start okay. allowing them to all talk. <laughs> all right. Just if you get the message to speak, you can speak. I'm allowing you all to talk.
So whoever wants, if you if you've uh, gotten a message, you can go ahead and speak because I've gotten a bunch of you already. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. Hello. Thank you again. Hi, it's it's Mary and Peggy. Th- thank you again for uh, your chairpersonship of MCAC. Um, this was my first ACB committee ever, and. Um, you know, you made it a wonderful experience for me. So thank you. Well, great. And you, you've contributed quite a bit. And I'm, I'm sure that you will continue to do that, Mary. Thank you. It's been wonderful working with you. You know, my hope is that soon we can all be together because I've never met you in person. And uh, I, I had, Michael says I have, but okay. Well, great. Yeah. I, I probably forgot. So many things happened and right. I haven't really been for so long, but Anyway, I like to get together with all of the committee at some point in the future, uh, just to have coffee, Coke, Pepsi, whatever. Just, just yeah. yes, together. definitely, definitely, yeah. And thank you to Cheryl for coming up with the idea of creating a book list. Yes, that was a wonderful idea, and it was really fun working on that. It was, and we have books about women up there too. I realized we failed mm-hmm. to mention. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we'll have hopefully some book discussions coming up because MCAC has done that even before the community calls. So we'll continue with those in the future. Yes. Don't yeah, that's sorry. right. We started that before community calls. Thanks, yes. Mary, for that reminder. Yes. I forgot oh, about that. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, sorry we couldn't be eating fried chicken together <laughs> like we always do. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I miss the midweek social, just hanging out and getting mm-hmm. to chat with everybody. And, and usually we have a game and little handouts that momentum that we give everybody to take with us. I think I miss that as much as I do the, the uh, actual program, too. I never made it to one of the midweek socials, so I look forward to that hopefully next year. I'm just looking okay. forward to meeting everybody in person. Yes, I know, Regina, yeah. <laughs> I have my ACB uh, refrigerator magnet from 2012, um, one of our midweek socials. And I was just looking at that right now because it's right here on my fridge. I came in to check to make sure that the bird didn't eat the kitchen wood. (laughs) 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 Mr. Remy. And Peggy, next next year... Uh, at the midweek mm-hmm. social, I now have a CD of klezmer music, and I just mm-hmm. have to lay ha- hands on a portable CD player, and I'll introduce folks oh, to klezmer music. That's mm-hmm. what we have to do next year. Mm-hmm. Bring our music. So yes. And can you teach us the dance? Because, uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I will learn how to... Oh, I want to uh, learn how to dance to klezmer music. Yeah, babe, you have to teach everybody the horror. I, it's been so long. I haven't, I haven't been to a Jewish wedding or a bar mitzvah in so long. I'll need to brush up myself. So that's your homework for the year, babe. There you oh, go. Oh, goody. <laughs> I hope my sciatica allows it. <laughs> Donna, you, you reminded me of something. I, I attended my first convention in 1998. And one of the things that I purchased that year is a little cup um, that was crocheted. 
and it had a little handle and it actually had a tea bag attached to it. Of course, the tea bag's long gone, but mm -hmm. I do still have that magnet on my refrigerator from 1998. Oh, oh wow. mm. I have my American flag necklace that um, I think one year our midweek social was on the MCAC midweek social was either on the 4th of July and I think Hattie made those uh, you know she she bought the, the American flags but she made the necklace things that went around her and her daughter I was thinking of Hattie the other day Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I was looking at uh, some information that I'm going to be forwarding to Cheryl, and it brought back mm -hmm. memories of some of our members that we've lost, uh, mm -hmm. Patty and uh, Eric, Eric Fry. Oh, Eric. Uh, and of course, Marlena, who was yeah, Marlena. Uh, our liaison for a number of years. And, uh, yeah, so. Eric was, I was thinking about the other day, you know, Eric, in his beautiful white suit, went up to Mitch yes. when Mitch was ACB president. And he said, I'm going to be watching you. And, uh, and, and he said, you know, he said, hopefully you won't do anything where I'm going to have to run against you and cut your term short. <laughs> and, of course, I guess, he, I guess he liked Mitch because he didn't run against him to cut his term short. But, sadly, we lost him too early. We did. We did. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Lots of great memories. Y'all got three minutes to chat. Well, I'm going to say my aloha to all. And again, oh. thank you very much for inviting me. And I look forward to seeing you folks around uh, during yeah. the week. Okay. And now, Laura, when you, you do aloha. when you do the audio described uh, luau, you know you're going to have to invite me and Mitch to go over there, too. And again, I, I, I got that. I got that. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, I figured that. I got some names already listed over here. And I think, uh oh. <laughs> well, Art, let us let us know when the HAB convention is because we'll be there beginning the sixth. And and the other thing is, I'm shocked that Donna didn't mention because one of her favorite um, dishes is spam. Oh well, yes. Yeah. Well, I was and, gonna, uh, you know, I was gonna mention it, but I, I thought. Nah. <laughs> oh, I love my spam musubi, and I have my spam musubi um, pillow. And it's that, mm -hmm. it's that first week, that first weekend of March. That's when we're having our convention. We oh, might be okay. there just after. We're there the sixth, and I forget what day of the week that is. Right off the top of my head. Oh, yeah, it's that, it's that we'll first Friday, uh, first Friday, Saturday. Ah. Oh. Uh. Sorry, guys. I just wanted to say this is my first time attending one of these meetings. I've sometime other years I found other things to go to, but I think I'll try to go next time. So thank you very much. Oh, wonderful! Thank you. Thank you. welcome. Yeah. Well, I gotta go because every phone in my house is beeping. Oh, your batteries are low, huh? Yeah, every phone was beeping, but I had a great time sitting here listening on mute and putting the typing stuff up so all right thanks hey. but we do Thank need you. an ethnic cookbook Peggy. we really do that's a great idea yeah, that's, that's yeah. A great i would idea. buy an we ethnic cookbook yeah mm -hmm. we're gonna work i don't on care it. about the ethnic pod but yeah, make, make it a fundraiser for the multicultural committee 
Cheryl, Madam Chair, there you go. Yeah, I, I I know everybody who's speaking, so you might get a phone call from me. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go, Cheryl. <laughs> no, but testing recipes and putting them together. That, mm. Well, and I know Peggy tried to do several times a, a taste of culture at conventions because other people had requested it, but there were struggles with hotels and, and you know, policies and, and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, I remember. Yeah, uh, like two or three years ago, the, we wanted to do that, and yeah, we I just couldn't do it. I, I, I remember you guys were talking about magnets. I have all the pins from every convention I've been to except last year. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. And I went to my first Louisville con- convention. I think I forgot what year. Wow. But I have every pin except last year they didn't have one. And I know Donna needs to kick us out of here. Yep, it's that time. <laughs> you guys. The next Thank group. you, Donna. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you could, Donna, give us a, t- could you give me some numbers in terms of attendance, participation? Oh, yeah. Um, How many at the high point? At one point, there was about 53. Yeah. Oh, wow. Excellent. Very good.